1: You're listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast about watching soccer on TV and online. Welcome to episode 157, coming up on this week's show, CBS Land's NWSL TV and streaming rights, what the CAS ruling about promotion and relegation means for US soccer, Premier League viewing numbers increase but quality drops, plus we have letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, and I'm joined uh, as always by my co host, Kartik Um Kartik, so uh, for those listeners um, who haven't uh, heard the show before, uh, we talk about the commentators, the production value, the latest television developments that are changing the way that you watch soccer as well as uh, which are the best streaming services to watch the beautiful game. And there's a lot of news to dive into. But before we get into that, Karthik, let's go ahead and start off with uh, what was your favorite match from this past week?
0: Um, boy, I guess it would have to be Red Bull Leipzig, or RB Leipzig, excuse me, and uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. We know what the RB stands for, right, in reality, although uh, they've tried to cover that. But uh, RB Leipzig and Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, a a match between two of the top four in the Bundesliga. Uh, For those who don't follow the Bundesliga, the league is separated, the top four, by only three points after this match. This match was uh, was at Leipzig. Gladbach got out to a two-goal lead at halftime. Uh, Leipzig coming off a loss. Bayern had just passed them in the table a matter of a half an hour or an hour before, and Dortmund kept up the pressure with another uh, masterclass from Sancho and um, Holland in the morning. So, or morning our time, but just uh, just in the in the uh, uh, mat- the kickoffs right before this kickoff. So, uh, Leipzig had to come from behind. They got the draw uh, late on. Uh, which and Gladbach reduced to 10 men, almost saw the match out. It was a lot of back and forth. Uh, Gladbach sat deep after they were reduced to 10 men, but still at times tried to pick spots to go forward. So this was a fun match. This was on FS2 uh, alongside a match on NBC, which I uh, understand was quite dour, which was the uh, Wolves' uh, uh, Man United match so I think I made the right choice switching to FS2 at that time
1: Dower is being kind Kartik this the, the <laughs> Manchester United against Wolves with a 0-0 draw it was just absolutely dreadful really really poor lacking um, any creativity really from Manchester United uh, Wolves I expected more I, I just don't know if uh, you mean the players are getting tired from playing in, you mean all the Europa League action and just a, a busy Christmas schedule uh, for for everyone too but uh and Wolves have so many times this season come close to beating the big clubs. I mean, whether they're playing Liverpool or Man United or Man City, uh, been putting in some really, really good performances. But this match was absolutely dreadful, um, which was followed on, on Sunday morning, too, by uh, Arsenal against Burnley. Another really dreadful nil-nil match, just, again, lacking creativity. And it made me wonder, Kartik, um, and that's the thing though too the man united wolves game had over a million viewers on uh nbc and universo combined so the viewership is still tuning in to watch you I mean watch the premier league whether you're a wolves fan man united fan or, or a, a neutral but it made me wonder this past weekend like what would have to happen in order for i mean the premier league's my favorite league of of all the leagues around the world for sure by it by by you I mean by a huge margin but what would it take me to stop watching the premier league or and i i guess in some ways it's it's already started because i'm definitely watching um a lot more leagues and and um, even when there's a premier league match on i'm more likely now than ever before to go ahead and actually watch a game from a different league or you Oh, know, it doesn't have to be league. it could be just even two other teams that are of interest to me that are not in the premier league and uh, it just made me wonder what, what it would take. But um, I, I was first gravitate towards the Premier League area. I mean, that, that's my honest uh, opinion. But oftentimes lately, um, probably in the last couple of years, I've been thinking, OK, well, is this really going to be a good match or should I actually watch the other one? And, and I made this, the mistake in this one, watching Man United against Wolves, sticking it through all the way into the end and missing the uh, RB uh, Leipzig-Gladbach uh, game. What about you, Kartik Have your tastes changed?
0: Yeah, I, the Premier League has been very difficult to watch this year. And, and honestly, if if I weren't playing fantasy Premier League, uh, this is where fantasy sports comes into account, I think, with a lot of people's preferences uh, and why they like... Uh, I mean, I don't watch American sports that closely, but why I have to assume they like the NFL so much is partly because a lot of people play fantasy football, uh, fantasy American football. But uh, if I weren't playing fantasy and if NBC's coverage wasn't so good and I wasn't so committed to, to kind of... The, the, the branding and, and the and, and the quality of analysis NBC gives, I'd probably be watching even less of it than I am. I think, to me, there's an awful lot of mediocrity. There's an awful lot of matches which just make my head uh, – which scratch my head. And look, and this is all cyclical, okay? I think um, what we found is – um, ten years ago, the Premier League, in my opinion, was head and shoulders the best league in the world, even though uh, some people would argue differently, that only the top four were really, really good, top four, top six, whatever. Then I think we went into a cycle where Spain was better, was a deeper league, but the Premier League was in many ways more compelling because you had greater variety of teams that were able to, to, to finish in that in, in that position from maybe six to ten than you had in 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 the spanish league it's consistently the same teams although i would say the team that finishes fourth in spain would would kind of change from year to year one year would be valencia and the next year would be uh villarreal was malaga one year uh so that would uh that would change but uh then we went into a cycle and i started complaining about this a couple of years ago chris where i thought the premier league uh, the uh the, the top After the year, the amazing year where Leicester won the title, Southampton finished in the top six, and West Ham were very good and were probably unlucky in a couple games to not push into that top five, top uh, top four even. Uh, The Premier League, it's almost like the empire strikes back, right? The top clubs, Uh, the, the gap between sixth and seventh got wider and wider. And I started to complain about that when we relaunched this podcast in this format. Mm-hmm. In the 16-17 season, that the football wasn't as good as it had been from top to bottom. There weren't these exciting uh, open Premier League games that the, you used to have. You didn't have the teams like uh, uh, that, that, Fulham that would go after it. Uh, West Ham for, for years, West Ham was always a, t- uh, a side, even when they struggled with relegation, that had a, a c- certain ethos to how they played. Uh, and now you had more and more teams parking the bus because of the, the financial disparity. That's just gotten worse and worse. So the last three seasons, you had a team that won the league with 100 points. That was a record. The next season, you had two teams finish above nine, uh, 96 points, which had been the previous record uh, for the Premier League. That had been Chelsea's team under uh, Jose in the first stint, uh, I believe, the second season, right? 5 season that uh that Chelsea got to that point total and and then this year you have a team that might might get 110 points or 108 points win the league so you cannot tell me the league is more competitive and the greatest show on earth when just the facts um uh, the facts refute that and then you have in some of your classic teams that you would want to watch a lot like Arsenal Arsenal uh Fans complained about Wenger, he wasn't winning anything, but you would still tune in to watch an Arsenal game because of the style of play, the, the, the quality of, uh, 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 of the passing and the movement from Arsenal Football Club. And Arsenal, even in the period they were not winning trophies, we're attracting a lot of new fans across the globe, not just of, because of their marketing effort, because of the way they played football. Now, I don't want to watch Arsenal play. They all, always have a defensive mistake or two. Uh, I think Arteta may be correcting some of this, but uh, they, 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 they would sit deeper. They would look disorganized. Uh, Spurs have gone from being very watchable. There was a great discussion on ESPN FC Wednesday night. Craig Burley really uh, going on about how if, if clubs are not with the ticket prices today – Uh, In England, Chris, Mm -hmm. if clubs are not going to entertain you the way Spurs did under Pochettino, yes, they didn't win anything in the five years he was there, but they were second one year or third a couple other times uh, and and played great football, then what's the point? would, Would you sacrifice? Everything uh, to watch dour football for nine months under Jose Mourinho so you can win a Carabao Cup or get to a Carabao Cup final, Um, that's the question. And I think Spurs are are clearly not as good to watch as they were just six months ago and on and on and on. And you've got uh, teams at the top that – a team at the top that never drops points. That's – somewhat interesting but the matches are frustrating to watch if you're a neutral so uh, yeah. no I'm, i think the premier league has got a a problem but it's cyclical i'll just say that chris so right. three years from now we could be talking about how competitive and how great the league is
1: yeah to, to me at the end of the day what i'm looking for is um is excitement is is, is creativity and that's not what that's what that's what i'm not getting from the premier league this season liverpool absolutely absolutely you know fan, fantastic performances i see the creativity there i see the just how how fast uh, and how direct they are when when they break and and, that, and that's entertaining but if i look at the the premier league table i look at the top 8 um and in there, there's, there's some teams that, I mean, Spurs, to me, are, are not as good as they used to be. you got Man United in seventh, I mean, really poor. Uh, Wolves, who've kind of come off the tracks a little bit in the last few games, but still um, kind of in terms of their shape, very, very good in terms of the way that they play. Sheffield United, which has been a, a fantastic story this, this season and really interesting to watch. Chelsea up and down. So you've only got really kind of a, a few clubs in there that have creativity. Leicester City would be one of them, I'd say. Man City on their day, Liverpool, of course. Um, and then beyond that, nine through twenty, I mean, you got Everton in ninth place, and I love Everton, but you know, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, they've had an awful season. Arsenal in tenth. I mean, you got these teams that are, are just really poor, and even down to the bottom of the table in terms of the relegation zone is that. Um, I in the past in in terms of liking the relegation battle would be because there would be some decent teams fighting for survival, trying to stay up. But lately, say in the last five years, it just seems to be a lot of weak teams, like a a lot of really poor teams battling you out. And it's kind of... uh, it's you know whoever's the worst uh, gets um, relegated. Actually, you
0: kind of hit it on that, Chris. Sorry to, to, to interrupt, but uh, uh, there was someone I talked to who watches the Premier League very, very closely, who made that same observation to me that it's actually when I was complaining about Liverpool 110 points and Man City 100 points, said no, it's more about the teams from 14 to 20 have been consistently worse the last three or four seasons, in his opinion, in the Premier League than at any time since uh, the breakaway from from the Football League in, in right. the early 90s. That that's really the issue. Is those clubs are not able to compete uh, in a, a high spending league, and so they play dour football. They park the bus, and then the, once in a while you have uh, you have a club like Blackpool. That well, that was back in 2010, but uh, like Norwich that comes up this year and tries to play football, and they have no chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so then any other club coming up will play uh, the kind of bad football that quite frankly keeps them in the league though so um yeah i think you may have really you may have just hit on it actually that might be the more serious uh issue
1: and going. I- and that was the thing. After that Man United Wolves game, I was like looking for another another match to watch, thinking, "Okay, there's got to be something out, out there that's better." And I watched uh, Valencia against Celta uh, Celta uh, de Vigo, and um, this within the first ten minutes was far more entertaining than United against Wolves. A lot more creativity. You uh, I mean a fantastic uh, fingertip sa- save. You I mean great, great, a great shot. Um, not not the most entertaining game at all, uh, by by any means, but. It was better than Man United against Wolves, and, and a great win there for, for Valencia. Now, Karthik, my game of the week uh, was... And I, w- I watched this live, going into it, thinking, OK, l- l- let me see what this is all about. Well, not all about, but th- this is one I thought that would be pretty entertaining. And it was Werder Bremen against Dortmund in the uh, DFB Pokal, which is the German Cup. Watched this on um, ESPN3. Uh, the commentator was Kevin Hatchard. And this one I mean it's who needs defenses when you have Dortmund and Werder Bremen. Uh this is just an open-ended back and forth incredible game. I mean the um in terms of even the production the way that it was done like a lot of close-ups of the fans in the stadium, a packed out stadium, great atmosphere, uh beers in hands in hand and and then just um you I mean all out for Werder Bremen uh, hoping that they would win this one. And and then they started off very strong. I think leading, like, I think, 2-0. Uh, but then um, in the second half, uh, Erling ha- Haaland came on in the 67th minute. Actually, before that, I think at halftime, he came on. So within about 20 minutes, he scored. And then uh, and then I, I, I watched this live, so I had no expectations. But a simply incredible goal by Gio Reyna. Uh, Claudio Re- Reyna's son, which probably most of us have seen now on social media if you didn't watch the game live, but scores a beauty of a goal around about the 79th minute um, to pull another goal back to, to be uh, Dortmund 2, Werder Bremen 3, and um, then he almost won, won a penalty um, and he got yellow-carded. But just a just an exceptional game on this one. It's a really, really entertaining And Vera Bremen, win, 3-2. That was my game of the week. I really enjoyed it. Um, Fantastic stuff there.
0: I, I find it interesting that uh, that match, uh, which was a fantastic match, and by the way, Bremen is fighting relegation, yet they threw out uh, their best team or, or close to their best team for this match against Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund did not necessarily throw out their best team and, and uh, t- had to chase the game late. Uh, but I find it interesting that uh, both the, uh, this match and the, and the Bayern-Hoffenheim match, which was another really, really good game, were on ESPN3 and not on ESPN+. plus. Meaning if you have a cable subscription, they were accessible. Uh, if you went online now, we know the Bundesliga is moving to ESPN next year. We've been told there are going to be only four matches on broadcast of uh, uh, linear television, Chris, but is, is would they have the option to do this with some Bundesliga matches? Because this does make things a whole lot, heck of uh, more accessible mm-hmm. and quell some of my anxiety about the league that now it turns out I'm watching the most. I'm watching it more than the premier league the last uh, couple months uh, a, a going to uh, behind a paywall.
1: It's it's a separate TV deal, so I would imagine in terms of the way the contract was written, and then whatever ESPN um, guaranteed to them, where they said, okay, we're going to show all the game, all these games on ESPN three, uh, and I think in Spanish language on ESPN Deportes, um, that's where we might be with that one. So I, I I don't think that it would mean that automatically, like for next season, um, all those games would be on ESPN Plus. Um but you mean in terms of the DFB talking to ESPN and talking about, you mean ways to improve the, the deal that they have in place and make make an amendment or you know addendum to, to go ahead and actually make this happen, that, that's a possibility. Um but uh yeah, I mean I, I mean in some ways too. I mean look, depending on how you look at it, ESPN three for some people would would be more accessible than an ESPN plus. I mean ESPN plus is behind that paywall. But it's five bucks a month and as we'll get to a little bit later subscriber numbers are up um so for some people espn plus is probably more accessible if they if they already have it and it's a lot easier to watch you mean know, all your german games there as well as serie r etc but but that's a good point kardik i guess uh i guess we'll see next season now um in terms of some of the other things i watched from this past week some of the highlights i've watched a ton of matches but um the coverage of, of the Madrid derby on BN Sports in English was really a, yeah. a, a disappointment. Because I, I went into this one thinking, okay, this is the this is biggest La Liga game of the weekend. This is massive. And being Sports, there's only two people in the studio. Um, George Metellus and Kaylen Kyle. There's no Gary Bailey. There's no Thomas Rongan. There's no you know, Fernando Fiore. Um, 1-0 to Real Madrid. score relatively early. And done and dusted. It, it just felt like it was just uh, you mean not that they're mailing it in, but it just felt like it just it was just another La Liga game, nothing special. Now on the Spanish language side, I didn't watch that. I would imagine that they kind of went all out and, and had a lot, had a lot more of uh, kind of in depth analysis and that. But ever since ever since BN Sports has lost what Kevin Egan, Kay Murray, uh, Terry Lee, Jeremy Saint Louis. I mean, these, these are people that would add a lot more of excitement and you mean have more people on the set, in the studio, discussing, having debates back and forth. But it's hard to do that when you have George Metellus as presenter, Kaylin Kyle, kind of sharing her analysis. And there's, that's it. There's, there's no debate or discussion. It's kind of just, what do you think, Kaylin? I think this. Okay, George, thanks. I mean, it's just really, really uh, weak, weak stuff uh, from being in sports there.
0: What, what what I would um, say about this is that I think you've got a situation where being – and I, I think – I don't want to get into it on air, but I think you and I both know the 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 situation with uh, – the contract situation with some of their talent where they're just – unless it's a Super Classico uh, – it's an El Clasico. Excuse me. I'm thinking Mexico. Um, uh, unless it's an El Clasico, uh, they don't seem to be willing to activate the full arsenal of, of commentary talent that they have. Uh, And unfortunately for them, one of the El Clasicos ended up being midweek this year, right? On a Wednesday, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, right? Yeah. Uh, But uh, I was disappointed about this because I tuned into this uh, match and the broadcast thinking it was going to be uh, some sort of at least semi-comprehensive analysis and coverage. And this is, again, when I say... I haven't switched off the Premier League completely because of NBC. This is why. There is still something I can sit and watch this past weekend. I wrote about it. We'll get to uh, that that column in a minute uh, or a little later in the show. But I watch Ahmed Farid, Robbie Musto, and Kyle Martino, and I watch the pre-match show uh, or the Goal Zone show, and I get something from it. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's the bottom line.
1: Which which may be one one explanation or one reason why that um – I mean I, I gravitate still to the Premier League I mean usually impulsively first because I know the coverage is going to be better. I mean I can turn into tune into the Bundesliga where I'm not sure what's going to show, show up. I can tune into in Sports where right now there's not a lot of people even even kind of working in the studio. I can tune into ESPN and, and there'll, there'll be no no crew giving me pre-match analysis for, for some of these, you mean Copa del Rey games or FA Cup whatever it is NBC Sports really at this point I mean other than TNT for Champions League would be the only one that you can go into thinking okay I'm going to get a a full dose of analysis discussion uh, uh, basically basically an immersive experience now the games themselves may not be that good I mean not as good as as we want them to be but yeah, that, that's a big reason. That's a big and reason Fox, to pull people in.
0: Very, Fox, we've talked about it over and over again. But this league gets very random. Again, this weekend they had a studio show for Bayern and uh, and Mainz or Mainz and Bayern, Bayern uh with Lawless, uh, uh, Ian Joy, Alexi Lawless, Ian Joy, Kate Abdo. I thought the show was pretty good. But then uh, the better games on the weekend, they didn't have any wraparound coverage for. So uh, again, you know, they could do it on, on, on every once in a while. Um, But you don't get the consistency. You turn on any Premier League match or any Premier League pre-match on NBC, even in cases like this weekend when Rebecca Lowe isn't there. Even when you don't have your lead presenter there, there is a certain standard and quality and level of analysis and level of presentation you're not getting from anyone else who covers the sport in this country. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that includes ESPN, who knock it out of the park if they have a studio with Dan Thomas and Alejandro Moreno and and Craig Burley and Steve Nichol and whoever else, uh, Stu Robson, etc., for a match. But then all too often when they have things on ESPN+, Plus, there's no wraparound, there's no bumper, there's nothing. Um, so again, NBC, this is part of the reason why the Premier League remains so compelling in spite of all the critiques you and I are making of the league itself or the quality of play and, and the, the, the matches themselves.
1: Yeah, the, the only other league I, I can look at in, in the United States and look at and, and guarantee that there's going to be quality coverage, um, you know, pre-match, halftime, post-match, is Liga Max in, in the United States. And uh, Saturday night, I watched uh, Monterey against uh, Queretaro. Uh, Keith Costigan and Kobe Jones commentating this one. This was on FS2. And uh, the interesting thing, Kartik, about this. Okay, so in the past, I've been told by Fox Sports PR that if a game's on FS2, then uh, oftentimes um, there's no studio uh, kind of. I uh, mean, they're not they're not working yet, Basically, there's no studio uh, show. It's it's usually kind of just the commentators. Well, this one on FS2 with the Liga Max, at halftime, you had highlights from all the, all the other games in uh, Liga Max. You had the the goal highlights, etc yeah, uh, discussions, a little bit of analysis there from both Keith Costigan and Kobe Jones, both of them doing a good job. But that that's something we don't get with uh Bundesliga games on FS two where the halftime show and and post match, it's basically um it it's just prom, promo reels from yeah. uh, from from the Bundesliga, it's not even from Fox. So there's, I mean, to me, then that shows that, I mean, obviously Fox knows that they've lost the rights to the Bundesliga after the, the season. So they're probably thinking, why even put any effort in? Let's just scale back. And at least with Liga MX, for some of these English language games for three clubs, they have the rights. So maybe they'll, You I mean, there's an incentive for them to do a little bit more uh, and give better coverage because they will continue to show show those teams. Kadik, did he catch any of the uh, U.S. women's national team games or U.S. men's yeah, national team games? Yeah, I watched
0: some of the uh, CONCACAF games. Pretty straightforward. I thought Haiti was unfortunate um, in the game against the U.S. They played very well uh, in, in that match. Uh, Obviously, uh, these these uh, uh, matches are on various Fox networks. Some are on Fox uh, FS1, some are on FS2, some are on F- FS. Plus. Uh, then there was the U.S. Costa Rica men's game. There was a U.S. Costa Rica women's game also, but men's game on ESPN News, bumped to ESPN News. It's a uh, non FIFA date friendly with B teams. And uh, I was very encouraged to see Brian Dunseth, who I think is really good and really underutilized. Uh, Obviously he does Real Salt Lake games and some other things uh, that, uh, that on, on a localized level that, uh, uh, Limit his his availability for national broadcast, but still love to see him more na- on on national coverage. And since Fox lost the uh, Champions League, haven't seen him on any European co- uh, coverage. He used to do he used to do fairly regularly some Champions League matches. Uh, he was outstanding. Uh, I I thought uh, Adrian Healy who was the, um, uh, who we haven't heard much of lately, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, doing uh, U.S. or MLS games because of uh, John Champion's relocation to the uh, to the U.S. And Ian Dark uh, still continuing to do the higher profile U.S. men's and women's games on ESPN. Um, I thought that uh, Healy maybe was trying a little too hard to uh, to sell how good this generation of American players were, uh, which is a constant problem among American commentators, overselling, overhyping players. I thought there was a little of that from Healy. Uh, Dunseth reigned it Back in a little bit, so uh, that's how I would analyze uh, the coverage of that match.
1: Yeah, and, and the game itself was um, relatively relatively decent. I mean, I mean, my big complaint about this would be that um, you really can't judge the level of of the U.S. team and uh, when they're p- playing much weaker opposition. I um, mean, it, it would be it would have been great to have kind of a, a tougher game to get to, to really see what this U.S. team is made out of. Um, but there were some promising signs, some promising youngsters playing in this game. Uh, I think Ulysses, who'd scored the, the penalty kick, uh, was a standout. But uh, overall, yes. I agree with you about Brian Dunseth. Um, I'd love to see m- more of him. I mean, he's a great uh, great co-commentator.
0: Yeah, Ulysses Lioness, is—it's is, good to see him uh, now playing for the U.S. His father actually is very active on Twitter. I interact with him on on Twitter. Uh, has been critical; had been previously very critical of the U.S. Soccer Federation, and, and I share many of those critiques. And uh, his, his son got a move to—he uh, uh, came up in the LA Galaxy Academy, got a move to uh, to Wolfsburg uh, to their to their program last year, and uh, uh, finally uh, got called into the senior national team, committed to the. U.S. Uh, he was eligible to play for Mexico as well, and uh, looked looked the part. And uh, again, uh, it's great that there's so many American players, uh, particularly in Germany, at mm-hmm. a young age. I, I think it's at least uh, making them competitive at a senior level at the age of 18 or 19. Whereas guys who've typically come through MLS, there've been exceptions. Uh, Josie Altador was an exception, right? Um, he was in the national team, but. Uh, by the time he was 18 and he was playing in MLS before he moved to Spain. Uh, but generally, you know, you're able to throw guys like Lioness and Sargent out uh, in senior matches, and, and they looked apart. The part, uh, even if they're, their growth curve is stunted at some point because uh, they've gone to Germany and gotten competitive, uh, competitive matches. Obviously, mm-hmm. same thing with Pulisic, and I think Gio Reyna will be called in uh, to the next set of U.S. games based on how he started his Dortmund career.
1: Absolutely. I watched uh, Milan against uh, Verona, Hellas Verona in uh, Serie A. This one with commentators is this is this is kind of a walk down memory lane. It was commentators uh, Steve Banyard who used to do a ton of Premier League matches uh, for Fo- well, for the world feed that we used to listen to uh, through Fox Soccer Channel, and co-commentator Trevor Francis. It's been mm. ages since I've heard Trevor uh, Francis do a commentary. Uh, so long, in fact, that I-, I heard the voice. I'm like, okay, who's- whose voice is that? That that sounds really, really familiar. And I-, I had to do a little bit of research, and they came back, and then and the-, the light bulb went off in my head. I was like, yeah, it's Trevor Francis. Uh, who used to play in Serie A for Sampdoria and uh, Atalanta. But uh, a great game. This was a good game. Much m- much better than some of the other Serie, ma- Serie A matches I've watched of late. And, and and Daniel Maldini making his debut for Milan at the age of 18, the club where his father and grandfather played at. So, yeah, great game. And, and Verona actually looked really good, too.
0: Yeah, and and where his uh, his grandfather was a legendary manager as well. Um, uh, Trevor Francis, little piece of trivia: first million-pound player in English football history when uh, Manchester City bought him from Brian club's Nottingham Forest, uh, where he had won a European Cup uh, when Manchester City overspent on him uh, after the eighty eighty one season, and uh, uh, ended up kind of flaming out at City, going to Sampdoria, having a really good career uh in Italy for a few seasons before coming back uh uh he came back to QPR right i want to say after he left italy but yeah travel yeah, is actually a very well, uh he went he went where
1: well at glasgow rangers i think for a little bit oh, but, yeah, but, yeah, they, but they yeah, went to qpr
0: right, And then went to QPR. Um, But, yeah, actually a pretty significant player in English football history. Uh, First million-pound player. And, ironically enough, Manchester City, who was not one of the wealthiest clubs at the time but was a pretty successful club. Uh, That was the period of time when I became a Manchester City fan. Pretty successful at that time before uh, several relegations after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, Manchester City actually is the club that first broke the bank for a million pound player even though this is long before the days of Sheikh Mansour so a little bit of trivia there
1: actually it was it wasn't it Forrest that broke the uh, the record of the million pounds for, for when he bought him from Birmingham not City
0: uh... Maybe I've always said it, thought it was City. I think City, it was like 1.2 million. Nah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah, it was
1: Forrest because of Brian Clough, I think, and they had uh, signed him on that one.
0: But uh, one more piece and of trivia. And then tri- they sold them to uh, at, at a profit The City. That's Right,
1: exactly. One more piece of trivia about Trevor Francis. Other than that, he was actually a really good uh, co-commentary, some good tactical analysis, some really good observations in this game I watched, was that uh, he also played in the uh, NESL for the D- Detroit Express Back in the yes. late seventies, so yeah, a sort lot of, of, goal uh, of
0: game in the NASL, by the way. Ah, there you I go. Think, I think a stat line is like 35 matches, thirty five matches, 32 goals, something like that. Almost a goal a game.
1: Nice. One last thing from me, Kartik. In terms of what I watched this past week, um, before we move on to the news and uh, streaming section, is that um, the FA Cup replays. I mean, there were two that were televised this week um both of which were streamed uh, on ESPN plus both of them were highly entertaining both of them were great uh, games to watch uh the liverpool shrewsbury game was not shown uh on um, uk television and as a result it wasn't shown worldwide Um, But the the Oxford-Newcastle game was a great one. A late comeback there by Oxford, uh, almost knocking uh, Newcastle out of the tournament. And then Spurs against Southampton. And Southampton put in a fantastic performance, uh, scored a a magical goal from Danny Ings. But this was entertaining. And in in some ways, I think, Kartik, in terms of, I mean, these teams going into a replay know that it's, win or go home you I mean it's one of those things that you have to win the match in order to progress to the next round where in a traditional fa cup tie uh you know that a draw is enough to to get a replay and uh it made a big huge difference
0: yeah um you know r- real real quickly on this i i uh watched parts of the uh, newcastle oxford match oxford newcastle match <clears throat> and um Stuart Robson, I know I bring this up consistently, Chris, but because he watches other leagues and he broadcasts other leagues other than the Premier League, he has a knowledge of players. And, and he, he cited, he said, oh, I've watched Almaron and M- MLS. He said it a few times, right, mm-hmm. uh, when he was talking about Miguel Almaron specifically. But uh, he brings something to broadcast of English football that a lot of other co-commentators do because they're not watching other leagues. And uh, I, I have to once again register my displeasure that the Premier League Premier League productions, for whatever reason, uh, doesn't use him on Premier League matches. And that's, uh, I know it's something I say every fifth podcast, that we do, but that was, again, another example, the way he uh, he, he broadcast that match, the, the, some of the analysis he gave that uh, reminded me, you know, this is a pretty big loss for the Premier League.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, Stuart Robson would probably be the number one best global co-commentator in terms of having a knowledge. You can put him into pretty much you mean, any major league around the world, uh, and he'd be able to, to, to talk eloquently about the players, you know, the history, the clubs, etc. Where, say, I don't know, a Gary Neville, if you took Gary Neville and put him into an ESPN broadcast of, of an MLS game, he'd be lost. He'd be like, okay, I have no idea who these players are. You mean know, Stuart Robson is somebody who has... A really, I mean, I, I can't think of anyone else. Can you? Can you can that would have that no, type of knowledge. I, I really
0: can't in yeah. terms of a co-commentator uh, in the English language. The one thing I will also say, though, <coughs> excuse me, is sometimes it rears its head, head head in another way, which was we talked about this uh, when we had John Nicholson on uh, when Robson had a, had a diatribe about the Premier League being very arrogant. And then citing, hey, I watch, I, I cover Serie A, I cover the Bundesliga, I cover MLS, and they don't have any of these problems. Um, sometimes I think maybe the feeling is among Premier League fans, and Premier League fans uh, are. I've talked about it before on this show, a a bunch who seem to be American Premier League fans, very league centric and protective of the league and very much into promoting the league that Robson has got this kind of uh, very negative vibe towards the Premier League, which may limit his exposure in some uh, respects. And then, of course, also his uh, traditional critiques of Arsenal, although that probably is now no longer an issue with Wenger uh, not at the club anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I think though that Stuart Robson, for whatever reason, we don't know what the reason is, but I, I think it's, it's, it's really due to the Arsenal criticism more than anything in, uh, where he was you mean looked at as somebody that was overly critical. I mean, um, in hindsight... You mean I, I? I was completely in agreement with him back then. I mean, I'm in complete agreement with him now in terms of where we see Arsenal, the club, and and kind of uh, how it's fallen fallen off the the top perch uh, in terms of quality and depth and and the way the cl- the club has been run and um, and Vengo's partly to blame for that in terms of you mean the way the club was was kind of really um, getting off the path of. of um, I mean being one of the top clubs in England yes it could get back to that but um it's unlikely in the in the the near future that that would happen so so I think that's really the reason that um I mean which you would think at this point in time bring Robson back in you mean even the Wenger's gone in terms of management in in, in the Premier League um but, and it, it could be Stuart Robson, too. Stuart Robson might say, you know what, I'm not really interested in doing the Premier League. I'd rather focus on, on my special specialisation, which is everything from you know, you mean Major League Soccer to Serie A to Champions League to um, leagues from around the world. And, and, and that's maybe what he enjoys more, perhaps. One of, the, one, one of these days, Karthik, uh, we, I, I know you've inter- interviewed him many, many years ago, but we'll have to have him back on um, and talk more in depth about, um, about his knowledge and about his story. All right, Karthik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news.
0: Yeah, so so very, very big news. Uh, First reported by Dan Laletta. We we, uh, reported it, uh, confirmed it afterwards, which is that the NWSL TV rights are moving to CBS, and Grant Wall also reported it. And according to Grant Wall, he had a little more layer in terms of uh, uh, what he's reporting, which is that more than a dozen NWSL games are expected to be shown on a CBS linear platform this year, including on CBS's main over-the-air channel, with out-of-market NWSL games expected to be available on CBS All Access. Now, what's interesting about this, Chris, is I hadn't thought about the fact that the summer fits a real hole in CBS's programming. They do have – a lot of PGA Tour events over the summer. Uh, They have more events over the summer than than NBC does. NBC and CBS, if you're not familiar with the golf contract, NBC and CBS basically trade off tournaments. And uh, that's why a lot of times we've seen the number of times when the Premier League match that would be on NBC over the air is uh, put on NBCSN. That's because NBC's got golf that week. But then the weeks that uh, during the PGA Tour season when there's no interruption to the Premier League being on NBC over the air. Generally, that's because CPS has the tournament that week. Uh, but there are holes in their programming calendar uh, over the summer. There's no NFL. There's no college basketball. Uh, those being their two big things other than golf, uh, college football. They may be uh, out of the college football business or, or um kind of out of it, not totally out of it, but kind of uh, more out of it than uh, they are now in the very near future based on uh, what's happening with with renewals there. So uh, this actually does fit a, um, a hole in their programming schedule. Now, the question is, would Major League Soccer fit the same hole? Um, but the MLS contract isn't up now. CBS jumps. They're trying to push all access. Uh, uh, selling all access the way uh, disney plus and uh, and uh, Nbc sports gold all these uh, all these things have popped up or, or peacock so uh, it 's more like Peacock and Disney plus than like ESPN plus or Nbc sports gold so they 're trying to sell CBS all access. Uh, Perfect timing. Mm -hmm. Octagon, the NWSL media partner seems to have struck gold. I was kind of skeptical thinking, eh, why would NWSL retain a big name media agency uh, when uh, perhaps their rights aren't that lucrative? Well, they seem to have uh, – again, it's not official yet, but – of course, they seem to have struck gold with this one. This is very, very big uh, for the game in this country, potentially.
1: Yeah, it's good news for NWSL in terms of that um, reach and uh, financial commitments there. That um, I'm, I'm, We're not sure how much CBS is going to be paying for these rights, but that's a good positive sign for the future of the league. The issue with this one, though, too, it's not really an issue, but it's, it's again, another example of how almost everything is moving towards streaming so mean, you know, whether it's the bundesliga whether it's serie a uh now you have nwsl um and again in, in each of these examples there's select games uh some more than others that will be on television a game of the week but for the most part we're moving again more and more towards streaming so that appears to be the, f- the future uh other than for the the biggest leagues the liga max the la liga major league soccer and the premier league where Uh, They're still very uh, linear, television-based, and that could change over time, too, where perhaps with the next TV deal um, for Major League Soccer coming up in about a year and a half, um, there's a possibility that uh, more and more of those games could go to a a streaming platform. But, yeah, this is uh, good news for NWSL. Uh, Moving on, uh, a couple of news items here, Karthik. Uh, I'll go first with with mine, and that is the FS1 and NBCSN are now in fewer than 80 million homes. Uh, Sports Business Daily reported this last week with the FS1 uh, number at 79 million, the lowest in network history. NBCSN at 79 million also, uh, which is their fewest number of homes they've been in since 2014. Again, this is another example of cord cutting. I mean, people cancelling their cable subscriptions and moving to a streaming platform And uh, with the case with NBC, uh, with Peacock launching um, this spring, that's their their way of continuing to um, keep those, even those cord cutters, keeping those subscribers. Uh, Fox, as of right now, really don't have a a really strong streaming package. So if you cut the cord, um, there aren't as many options for Fox at this present time, but... And then, get in that continuation of uh, kind of this move to streaming, uh, another news item for you?
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, so, ESPN Plus is climbed to over six point million paid subscribers following the Disney Plus launch and the Disney Plus bundle. Uh, as I mentioned, I think last week or two weeks ago, I, I had actually would count twice then because I'd subscribed via the bundle and it already had a subscription. But nonetheless, uh, that bundle, I think, has uh, really helped grow uh, ESPN Plus's footprint in advance of the Bundesliga moving there and, and all these other properties. Uh, additionally, let's keep in mind that they had, uh, they had rolled uh, ESPN Insider um, subscripti- subscribers into Plus uh, and now to where Plus also has written content, the old insider content, if you go to the ESPN.com site. So uh, it's not necessarily all straight subscriptions to ESPN Plus for their uh, video content, but still 7.6 million is a really impressive number.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And how many of those are actually watching soccer is probably like a small number, but still, that's a good um, base to build on. Uh, yep. 7.6 million and growing very, very quickly. Moving on, Kartik, um, Euro 2020 is this summer. We're looking forward to it. I mean, me personally, um, in terms of the competitive level, uh, France, I would imagine, would be the favourites. But, you uh, I mean, if somebody's able to actually knock France off, there's, there's a lot of other teams that could be quite interesting in terms of uh, potentially uh, winning this tournament uh, this summer. This one, of course, being played throughout the European continent. And uh, I'm really excited about it. But in terms of television co- coverage... Of course, we know that um, ESPN has the rights to this competition. Uh, as of recording, um, no announcements have been made in terms of talent. Uh, what I am hearing uh, is that um, ESPN will be hiring some big names for this competition to be um, doing the studio analysis. Now, in subsequent conversation, conversations I've had with uh, other sources, some names that have been thrown out, and, and there's um, no guarantee that any of these would be hired for ESPN, But some names that have been mentioned uh, in discussions include Sir Alex Ferguson, Gary Lineker, and Gary Neville. And uh, you could imagine any of those three, or all three of those, would uh, make a huge impact in terms of any network, having them providing studio analysis um, about the Euro 2020 tournament. What about you, Kartik? If you had a choice between uh, those three, uh, which one would you take?
0: Gary Lineker for sure. Um, although I, I think Sir Alex Ferguson would probably be pretty interesting. And Gary Neville is very analytical. Uh, a little bit of a bonus item then uh, on this, and this is for UK audiences, US audiences. This may not make a difference. The rumor now, pretty hot rumor, that is that Jermaine Genus is being groomed to replace, eventually replace Gary Lineker um, as BBC's lead, you know, match of the day presenter. So that's uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, Genius has been impressive when I've seen him. The limited times I've been able to see him catch uh, British television via VPN or, 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 or clips, uh, but that's uh, uh, that—that's uh, who is in line, uh, according to uh, many of the rumors out there, to replace Lineker uh, long-term at the BBC.
1: And Kartik, one more news item.
0: Yeah, so um, the cast ruling on promotion and relegation—the case filed by Miami FC—who've uh, been. In the interest of full disclosure, I, I formerly was a full-time employee of. I still continue to uh, to do some work with them. Uh, a, a, and Kingston Stockade FC, Stockade FC, uh, has uh, been revealed by uh, uh, the New York Times. Uh, basically, uh, the 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 cast filing, uh, the cast, uh, cast claim was denied. Uh, it was a uh, effort to bring promotion relegation. To the United States, uh, to the soccer system, the, the league system of the United States, following Article 9 of the FIFA statutes, the cast, uh ruled in favor of uh, FIFA, CONCACAF, and uh, U.S. soccer on this. Uh, I... Uh, um, I am not sure at the, at the moment we tape this whether we will ever see the full ruling, uh, which is uh, my understanding is somewhere near 50 pages. If we will ever see that full ruling, see the light of day so that people can go through it. Because what we found with the cast claim uh, for C- uh, Crossfire FC, DeAndre Yedlin's former youth club, was uh, a leak, right, to a reporter. I think it was Jeff Carlisle uh, or, or Grant Wall. I think it was the Grant Wall, basically, uh, Crossfire has lost the case, right? Mm-hmm. Chris, you remember this. Yeah. Then a few months later, uh, Carlisle got his uh, hands on the ruling and said, well, actually, there's all of this in the ruling that's favorable towards Crossfire, favorable towards uh, the, the possibility or, or the potential in the future for U.S. youth clubs to, uh, to try and force uh, uh, training compensation and solidarity payments. So uh, until we see the full ruling – and the wording, I don't think we can make any definitive judgments. Yes, it is a setback at this point uh, to the idea of blowing open the league system, uh, MLS, USL, uh, NISA, the sanctioned professional leagues in the United States, enforcing promotion and relegation. However, until we see the full ruling, and I would, I would urge people who are, uh, who are distraught this, uh, this week about this ruling, uh, we, we don't really know what's – the devil's always in the details – but again i am not sure those 50 pages will ever be leaked we'll see
1: yeah so according to tariq uh, who writes for the new york times uh, he did mention uh, the tribunal concluded that while the wording of article 9 of the of the fifa um, basically uh, guidelines could be understood as rendering that provision to be universally uh, universally applicable fifa didn't intend for the rule to apply to us soccer and and Kartik, that's huge because, I mean, and I'll get into the TV ramifications in a minute, but this is huge because FIFA didn't intend for the rule to apply to US Soccer. Says who? <laughs> Says FIFA? I mean, maybe they had uh, discussions with yeah, FIFA recently. Yeah, they
0: had. I, I could say this, that they um, – and I, maybe I, I don't want to be speaking out of school because, again, I, uh, I, I previously worked for, for one of the litigants and, and uh, one of the plaintiffs, and, and I also still continue to do some work with them. So uh, I will say that the U.S. Uh, – or sorry, FIFA had a defense that essentially there had been conversations between Sepp Blatter and Chuck Blazer. Who we know all about uh, that effectively exempted the U.S. from this um, provision of FIFA uh, statutes. Yeah. So yeah. that that's actually maybe that'll come out in time. Maybe I've given more information than I should be that I, than I should have just now. But uh, that that is exactly what they're referring to. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I I mentioned before too, a guideline is not a guideline it's a statute. And that's the thing though too that's that I mean FIFA didn't intend for the rule to apply to US Soccer. Um you mean is that included in the statute? No, it's not. And and that's the thing though too, context. So Australia, I mean Australia, FIFA made sure that uh that Australia went ahead and uh, with promotion relegation and pushed very heavily on them in terms of making sure that that would happen, but the rules are different for US Soccer. And and I think it's one of those things that um this is a perfect uh, example of, really, to me, how MLS Commissioner Don Garber is a fantastic politician you know, in terms of, and I'm sure, meeting with, well, we know he met with uh, the FIFA head, um, Gianni. And and, and and that's the thing, though, too, is that uh, he's played his cards right in terms of making sure that this cast ruling uh, was in their favor. As a result of this, though, too, I mean, the likelihood of promotion relegation happening... Uh, within the United States, at the top level, is almost zero to me, in my belief, yeah. and, and this does put MLS in a fantastic position to protect their assets, to pr- protect their, um, you mean the, the the business model in many ways. I mean, it is the business model, um, and uh, from a TV perspective, to me it makes it less competitive, it makes it less interesting when you don't have any clubs coming into the system based on merit, based on performances. You only have them moving up into the top league based on the owners putting in, what, $100, $200, $250 million uh, of money that has no relevance to the quality of that team. Um, So it's um, interesting, uh, disappointed with the ruling. Um, I think it's Kind of strange that you mean that the you mean that the says that the cast says that the FIFA didn't intend for the rule to apply to u s soccer i'd like to find out more information about that so uh you mean is this the FIFA of now that mentioned that or is this that they have some documents to prove that well, this was well,
0: well Johnny infantino I would mention also i i think is his his uh hitched FIFA even more so than Sepp Blatter did to American money and American corporate sponsors and an alliance with the U.S. Uh, And and it's 2026
1: World Cup. I mean, that's the biggest cash cow ever.
0: That's one one piece of it. Uh, I think in general you've seen in the wake of the FIFA scandals a lot of – uh, hand-wringing about FIFA in, in Western Europe. So you've seen, uh, with the exception of Adidas, who is a, uh, uh, basically a life FIFA connection, uh, Western European companies dropped or, dro- or, or, or distanced themselves as sponsors or, or corporate partners of FIFA. And what you've seen is a lot of American companies, Chinese companies, companies from the Middle East come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Gazprom from Russia, right? So um, I think Infantino is very strategically uh, positioning FIFA in alliance with uh, with uh, non-Western European nations. It's ironic considering he's Italian and he's uh, the former president of UEFA, but against essentially the Italys, the Englands, the, the, the Netherlands, the Germans, you know, the, against those countries. And... Um, Quite frankly, with some of the rogue football nations, because the United States would be at the top of the list of any rogue football nation if you're being perfectly honest about it. Right. I'm not talking about rogue nations in terms of uh, uh, a foreign policy like uh, maybe you would perceive North Korea or Iran. I'm talking about in terms of uh, the way they structure football Mm -hmm. and uh, Australia and uh, the United States would be at the top of the list of what I would consider rogue nations in terms of the way they structure the sport in their yeah. countries. And uh, Infantino doesn't seem to have the same level of uh, concern about the way the U S the way Australia, I mean, maybe uh, there's, there's something there too. Uh, he, he's been less aggressive about pursuing promotion and relegation in Australia than bladder had been. Um, so I, I think there's something there. There's more going on in terms of sponsorship money, yeah. in my opinion, than Maybe is is on the surface.
1: Yeah, and, and to me, it's all about the money. It's all about the power, and that's what's really, really driving this, uh, making sure that you um, mean the ruling goes in the favor of U.S. soccer, and, and most importantly, in this case, uh, Major League Soccer, where there is now practically no competition in the United States um, even within the league itself and and you look at yeah we've been criticized in the Premier League but for the poor quality that uh, this season in particular but without promotion relegation you wouldn't have the, the Sheffield United's you wouldn't have the Wolverhampton Wanderers you wouldn't have some of these teams that have come up from the second tier into the top league to make it more competitive and more interesting Um and and that has an impact on television uh, viewing numbers we know that the tv numbers for major league soccer are disappointing that you I mean there're really very few people watching major league soccer to be frank so when you look at those numbers and you look at the other leagues from around the world and look at those numbers in the united states for those viewing numbers there's a reason that, that those numbers are much larger than major league soccer and that's because it's more competitive for the most part it's at the higher quality And that's why people are watching those games instead of Major League Soccer. And this ruling today has a negative impact to me in terms of um, decreasing um, the value of watching Major League Soccer. Uh, To me, with promotion relegation, that that would make the Major League Soccer far more interesting, far more riveting and engaging and and give me a reason to, to watch that league. Without it... Uh, yes, I will watch it, but it's not as as of interest and not as of high, uh, high quality uh, as it would be with, with other countries. All right, Kantic. Uh, TV ratings, uh, we mentioned before, Man United against Wolves on NBC and, and Universo. Over a million viewers for this game, uh, a huge number for what was really an awful game. Uh, Spurs against Man City on NBCSN, uh, 732,000 viewers for this one, um, pretty decent for... A Sunday uh, morning game, and actually, it was a good game. I enjoyed this one. Um, Barcelona against Levante on being Sports on Sunday, 95,000 viewers for that one. Uh, then you had the US women's national team uh, games. They had the, the three games last week. Uh, the highest was 322,000 viewers for the game against Costa Rica on FS1 on Monday night. Moving on to Listener Mailbag. First up is uh, Gerardo Ramos. Uh, he says, uh, got to say, top job by Ahmed Farid uh, on NBCSN uh, coverage last weekend. Big shoes to fill, Rebecca Lowe's spot, and he has done an excellent job. And Kartik, you mentioned this too in your brand new column that you have, uh, which is called um, On the TV Media. And it's at worldsoccertalk.com every Monday morning. Uh, The first column was last week and some good insights, some good analysis. So listeners, uh, if you do get a chance, uh, check that out uh, for the next uh, every week on Mondays.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, just in short on Ahmed Farid, uh, Chris, I mean, what I talked about in the column was that uh, I'm not always in love with uh, multi-sports presenters presenting uh, soccer, but he he has gotten gradually better. He started uh, with midweek games last season, and uh, now I'm very comfortable with him. I think he, he has a lot of knowledge of the league, um, and he uh, – I don't see a, a huge drop-off between him uh, and, and when Rebecca Lowe is not there or Derek Ray is not uh, called in. Uh, so I, I think he's done a fantastic job. And that's uh, more uh, more credit to NBC, right? They get so much right in how they, uh, how they uh, produce and present uh, the sport. The,
1: the one thing about Rebecca that she does uh, very well, I mean ma- many things very well, but but this in particular, is that she makes it sound more natural. She makes it sound that she's not reading from a teleprompter. Um, and um, Ahmed's good, really, really good. Um, but sometimes it, it's not—not it, not that it sounds like he's coming from a teleprompter, but it sounds more kind of just stated. Um, Rebecca just feels kind of natural, as if she's talking off the cuff, um, which I'm sure sometimes she is. But 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 uh, th- that, that's the feeling I get watching the, the broadcast. Next up is Amber. Amber says, "Love the podcast," and I mate- maintain if UEFA mandated the fourth Champions League spot. Uh, to go to the FA Cup uh, champion, then more clubs would take the the FA Cup seriously. Time to scrap replays, and especially now with loads of fixtures, especially after the festive period. Gorilla Talk says, I'm sitting at a coffee shop listening to World Soccer Talk podcast. Yes, Americans care more about leagues than clubs for the most part. We've had uh, competing leagues in every sport at one point, NFL versus AFL, National League, Senior Circuit versus American League, Junior Circuit. There used to be other major baseball leagues as well, NBA versus uh, ABA, NHL versus WHL. Colleges are promoting league loyalty because of their broadcast rights or their own TV station. Next up is JP. JP says, interesting discussion on being a fan of a club versus a fan of the league. Are you guys saying that soccer fans in Europe only follow their club but don't watch other clubs in the same league? And let me just interject there. JP, absolutely. Uh, for the most part, I mean for the most part, you mean if you're supportive of Manchester United or something like that, and, and you're living in England uh and you're you mean kind of a true blooded fan. The likelihood of you turning in and watching a Liverpool match or watching a Man City match uh, is extremely unlikely. You're, you're going to be watching that club, and you know, probably uh, focusing most of your time and and, and uh, efforts on that club solely. Um, also, on top of that, though, too is that you have a lot less TV coverage, so there's a lot less fewer opportunities to watch other games from that league. Um, that plays into it a little bit, too. But um, absolutely, I mean, most supporters would be focusing on their club specifically and could care less about the league itself or, or the league institution or anything to do with the league. If anything, the league is looked at as a negative. Uh, the club itself is is the be-all and end-all. So let me continue from uh, JP's uh, comment. That would seem weird to me as the performance and results of the other clubs impact where your club falls or rises in the standings. Also want to compare how your club looks relative to its closest rivals and what improvements may be needed. That is mostly how American fans follow American sports such as NFL, NBA, etc. Have your favorite or local team that you follow closely, but also watch games of other teams if you have the opportunity via national television. For soccer, it's a special case, as the majority of American fans of European club soccer are neutrals for the most part. We may gravitate to one particular league for a myriad of reasons, such as nationality or ease of access. Might have a favourite club within that league, but for the most part, watching whatever is presented and not living and dying with the performance of that one club. Kartik, before me, I go in any further. Any, any uh, thoughts so far on what JP has been saying?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's there's, there's um, more just league pride, though, in American fans. You know, I, I've noticed that just uh, in terms of college sports conferences, the NL thing that, that Gorilla Talk mentioned is, is definitely something. I mean, I used to engage in that 20 years ago when I watched baseball. I was an NL fan. I, I thought the AL had bastardized rules and was very much the junior circuit. That's the way I viewed it. Um, so – I think that that's just something maybe because of the way sport has evolved in this country that's been about leagues and there's such league promotions and these teams are in many cases franchises now what you've seen in college sports is schools in the last twenty years begin to to jump from conference to conference uh, and create super leagues essentially like the big five we have big we have a power five uh, conferences like we have a big five European leagues uh, in uh, in European football. But um, that may dissipate a little bit because the traditional rivalries and, and conference um, affiliations have, have broken down a little bit. But still, I think Americans in general are more sort of league centric. And, and there are um, fans of um, universities, fans of you know, University of Florida fans, uh, uh, Michigan fans. Michigan fans will probably turn on just about any Big Ten game. Florida fans will probably turn on just about any SEC game. They won't watch ECC big Ten big 12 matches um, and so forth so I think I think the league thing is present here.
1: yeah and, and to me it's far bigger in this country than than overseas in terms of that um, focus on on the league. Uh, JP finishes up he says uh, to expand on the college sports versus European soccer angle many fans in America will take pride in the number of teams their conference gets in the NCAA basketball tournament and how far they advance see something similar with the the Champions League here in America with with the Premier League or La Liga or Bundesliga in 2013 will boast about how their teams advance in the tournament even if not fans of those particular clubs as proof that their league is better real madrid and the atleti 2014 and 2016 liverpool and tottenham 2019 do the fans in europe also do this or is it just an american fan dynamic for those who follow european football
0: i think fans in europe do do it i think jp uh is onto something here and yes in the ncaa basketball tournament uh that is definitely the culture you know you you i would when i was more into college basketball uh and college basketball is the other sport that I've in my life been equally obsessive about with as soccer. So I used to do some of the same obsessive things. I used to track that at the beginning of the tournament and say, okay, the SEC got four bids. I think it's – a it's a garbage conference. Kentucky's the only team that should get in. Let's see, let's see how the other three teams that got bids did and, and, you know, posted, you know, in those days we didn't have Twitter, but posted on message boards. And then same thing with the ACC. Oh, I think the ACC is a great conference. They only got six bids. Uh, they should have gotten eight and, and do the same thing. So yeah, it's the same culture. And, uh, certainly in 2013, uh, you, you specifically mentioned that, um, when Bayern played Dortmund in the final, I think it was vindication for a lot of people who had said the Bundesliga is more competitive, had beated that, had beat that drum. There had been pushback against it. Oh, well, those teams never win anything in Europe. Uh, the Premier League has always got teams in the semifinals. La Liga has always got teams in the semifinals. Uh, Italy in those days had more teams uh, making deep runs. So there would always be pushback. And remember, at one point, the Bundesliga had even lost their fourth um, mm-hmm fourth spot yeah um so there was a lot of uh of chest pounding when uh that happened when yeah. those two met in the final and and, the, and of course the Bundesliga regained its fourth spot and, and has not lost it since and won't lose it but that's I that, would, that, yeah i think that's there too I, I would agree
1: i would say though too Kartik uh just one more thing before we move on to the next uh comment is that um this comes more from the, you, you mentioned about Europeans kind of uh, focusing on this more in terms of if, you know, the Bundesliga does better one season than another, or like last season with Liverpool and Spurs in the final and talking about the Premier League. To, to me, really, though, it's more of a media thing. It's more of a thing like, say, talk sport, talking about it, saying like, isn't this wonderful? We've got all these Premier League teams in the final. And, and also in the papers whether it's uh, the independent or the, or the daily mail talking about how well the premier league is doing i'm not convinced that it's on on the actual supporters themselves where for them it's not as important to them um but within the media it makes a great story and um helps sell the league which sells the newspapers which sells the clicks those i think that's the focus more so so sometimes it's um probably not a good indication of how the feeling is within the country i think it's just the feeling within the media itself moving on our next news item right no news item it's, it's a comment from one of our listeners and this one came from itunes uh and we will we'll read the good ones and we'll read the bad ones this one is from norcal sticky icky of the five or six episodes I've listened to all of them, they seem to seemingly start out with how the host was only able to catch 15 minutes of football this weekend because of travel soccer. And of course, uh, Kartik is su- such a hipster that he only watches games in the Albanian 12th division. <laughs> so my two cents is that if you haven't watched any games, what the hell are you doing a podcast for? Or at the at the very least, maybe not start out every show by talking about all the soccer that you didn't watch. And uh, while I appreciate the, the feedback there, NorCal, sticky, icky, uh, what I would say is that um, uh, we're not contrived. This is our honest opinions and, and this is our honest uh, discussions about what we did watch and what we didn't watch. Um, we were both football supporters, football fans, uh, journalists uh, in the media, podcasters, etc. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, we both have lives. I mean, kartik you know is married i've i've got four kids wonderful kids i got you know i'm married to a wife Uh, from this past week um some weeks are better than others in terms of being able to watch soccer this past week i watched 16 games uh, on television or streaming and uh, i think i went to like two or three high school football games soccer games Uh, so it's been a really busy week every single day is soccer for me and as it is for you karthik uh, but yeah. some weekends we get to watch more of it than we we do, and other other weekends we want a little bit of a break. We don't want to, you know, want to do other things in life.
0: Yeah, well, and then also I have to admit that you know, when when you talk about travel, uh, generally it's football related, tra- soccer related travel. So um, I'm seeing a lot of live games at the grassroots level. It's not that I'm a hipster that I'm watching the, the 12th division, the fifth division here in the U.S. Fourth division. It's that I genuinely have worked with those clubs and those leagues. So um, again, this goes back to the point that there is more going on in the U.S. and just MLS, which sometimes MLS fans forget. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, there have been weeks that I haven't watched enough football, truthfully, to, to to comment on things. But that is because of other football, unfortunately. Right. Fortunately or unfortunately.
1: So Robert says, uh, the comment about the show being anti-MLS was wrong. Your constructive criticism is accurate and useful world is in the name so it's not about only the US i do worry about the rift kartik pointed out between the mls academies and other programs have either of you read michael calvin's great series on the premier league the uk like other countries see all young players as their prospects and vacuum them up so the mls is not any different and and robert i didn't see i didn't read that that book series uh, i'm not sure if you have kartik
0: I am aware of it. I have not read it yet. I know that there's a lot of critiques of the Premier League in there that that kind of mirror the John Nicholson critiques that we talked about when we had had him on. Uh, So I'm looking forward to reading it. I have not yet. There's a lot of – there's a lot more – written kind of intellectual critique of the Premier League now out there than there was three, four years ago. It seemed like when I would criticize the Premier League for some of its practices with youth players, some of its practices on television and and business, that I'd be giving those critiques in a vacuum. Now there is a lot of written material that backs it up. So I'm looking forward to reading that.
1: Monty Reed says, With ESPN+, Plus, I have watched more college soccer this past season than I have ever. I do not like high school college uh, soccer rules. I'm okay with the unlimited subbing, but all the other rule changes are not good. Also, most of the high school refs, also ref um, rec and club, and I have seen mistakes made due to referees confusing the different rules. I agree that the college season should be longer, and I think all college programs are training during the the spring semester, so why not continue the season? What impact is uh, Major League Soccer's academies raising up homegrown players having on the college game? Are we seeing more players going straight to Major League Soccer teams and skipping college? And I believe we are, Kartik. seeing that as, as a trend. yeah. And um, I think it's a positive thing. I mean, for those professional athletes who want to make that their career and want to be the the best of the best, I I think that's the pathway to go.
0: In theory, it's a positive trend, and I know everybody has pushed this. I haven't seen any tangible results for the U.S. uh, national teams that indicate that it's – well, Even at the youth level, I think when we had uh, eighteen of the twenty-three guys on our on our U twenty rosters in college, and the other five were in Bundesliga academies or whatever, uh, the results are the same as having the entire team as it has been the two, last two cycles in MLS academies. So I haven't seen any tangible results yet. I, I, that having been said, in theory, I completely agree. It would be great to get them all out of college and get them into academies uh, at, at eighteen and playing for first teams by the time they're nineteen or twenty.
1: Right. I mean, I mean to me, the perfect example is uh, Christian Pulisic. In terms of somebody that's, uh, I mean, focused on becoming a, you I mean, a fantastic professional at the top of his game, and and um, and going straight into, I mean, club football and, and, and not going down the path of, of college. Uh, next up is Azer or Azer, and uh, he says you guys have criticised Fox Sports for not putting any effort into showing a pre-game, halftime, post-game show for the Bundesliga. When games are shown on FS2, what effort will ESPN show next season? The answer is zero. As long as I'm able to watch a game, I don't care about Fox's analysis. I'm sure many other people feel the same way. TNT has a studio crew for its Champions League coverage. And what analysis are we getting? It's like watching paint dry. Enjoy the Bundesliga on TV for a few more months. I'll subscribe to ESPN+. Plus, But I'll miss Fox's coverage. Seven games on Fox TV on the weekend versus zero on ESPN. Think about it. Yeah, it's... Um yeah, and I think Azer is definitely not in the crowd of people that are uh, positive about ESPN Plus as a whole. But but to me, you need the uh, like. So there's the, the, the different types of fans. Some fans will tune in. You I mean right at kickoff, and as soon as the full time whistle is done, they're gone. But for me, one of the reasons that the Premier League is so popular in the United States has been the shoulder programming, has been the effort on discussing this, on dis- dis- discussing uh, the teams, the players, the you know, the the stories, and the storytelling aspect is something that happens that uh, you don't get with you mean know, having the game just on ESPN Plus with without any any uh, programming beside it now with the espn plus with the bundesliga when it does happen uh, we'll have to wait and see if we do get any of that but um there is an advantage yes to having it on television but there's a bigger advantage to having that storytelling aspect and um yes we're not getting that with fox um based on for the most part kind of the inconsistent uh, coverage of the bundesliga um uh, but who's to say we're not going to get that with the bundesliga on espn plus maybe we'll get we'll get that
0: yeah, I I am not sure what we're going to get. I I am skeptical. I have to admit that, and I'm I'm am probably more uh, in in your camp, uh, Azer, a, a, than I am in <laughs> the camp that says, "Oh, this is a great move." But we'll see. Uh, I, there have been some indications ESPN might uh, might m- might kind of flip the switch and do more uh, for the Bundesliga than they're doing for Serie A. Mm-hmm. Uh, but seeing how they've covered Serie A, I think Serie A is probably getting. Uh, less in the way of shoulder coverage than it did when it was on VN. So that that would be... Uh, although it wasn't great on VN. I mean, VN was focused on La Liga and uh, PSG more than anything Serie A related. But uh, I, I think um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but I, I'm sceptical.
1: Yeah, and, and even when Serie A was on BN Sports, I can't remember any good analysis. I can't remember any thought-provoking analytical discussions of that. So So... Just having shoulder programming or having studio talent, um, just having it is not enough. You mean that, that that's that's not going to make any difference. Just having it is is not going to cure things and, and resolve uh, or help things. You have to have some quality put, put a commitment in there, have some quality analysis.
0: I, I think in general, I mean, this is not the BN thing. Now we're many years beyond that, but when you stack your analysis team, you stack your commentary team based on having La Liga, there tends to be, at times, a contempt for Serie A because the styles are so different. And people, we, we just, getting back to that whole league discussion, people who love La Liga will tell you, uh, almost as like a standard talking point, how boring Serie A is. And people who, who are Serie A fans will almost as a standard talking point at times tell you how uh, yeah, how La Liga is not tactical enough for them. Mm-hmm. So there, those two leagues in particular i've noticed there's a lot of tension between the supporters of those leagues so them being on the same network and that network emphasizing one of those leagues over the other caused bad coverage Uh, but the point is espn plus has not done anything necessarily to elevate that coverage and that's a concern with uh, the bundesliga where the coverage starts at a higher uh, place uh, with the way fox has covered the league last five seasons
1: and one more thing about being sports is that uh it's not good to have two of your biggest properties competing against each other so for example when they had la liga i mean they have they have la liga when they had serie A rights um the, i mean the kickoff times are competing with La liga for the most part so la liga is always going to get the uh priority and then as a result a lot of those serie A games i think there were a lot of them were on being sports connect i mean a lot of them yeah. weren't even on television except for the early morning on sundays uh, you'd have those games on Um, Same thing with uh, Ligue 1, the French League, um, competing against La Liga as far as kickoff times and BN Sports as the rights holder to that. They're competing against themselves. So most of the games from the French uh, First Division are on BN Sports Connect because they don't have any bandwidth uh, to show those on the uh, BN Sports English side because they're, they're showing La Liga games. So um, looking at NBC, looking at the Premier League, I mean, I mean that's, that's really the, the major product that they have. And um, looking at ESPN, the television side, as far as Major League Soccer, that's pretty much the major product that they have. ESPN Plus and the streaming platforms are a different story entirely. I think uh, there you're going to pull in in lots of different types of people from lots of different types of interests. And at the same time, hope that they you know, sign up for Disney Plus and some of the other services that they have. But um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a, pro- a big problem to have if you have you mean league Earn and and you're you're lost on a network that has good intentions, but um, you're not priority number one. You're priority number two. And in some some weekends, there's more Turkish league soccer uh, from the Turkish Super League on television on being Sports than there is the French league. So we want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Um, so let us know what questions you have, what uh, opinions you'd like to share, uh, whether it's about streaming or production or commentators or you name it. Um, and kind of the way that uh, our viewing experience uh, is changing. I mean, every week we're we're bringing you the latest news about, um, I mean, the move to cord cutting or uh, CBS in this case, I mean, acquiring some of the rights to the NWSL to have those games on uh, over the air, CBS, which is a big, big move. But this world is continuing to change. So let us know what you'd like to, to find out from us. And uh, thank you for listening. Kartik. before we go ahead and close out the show, uh, something a little bit different. I I, I didn't give you a heads up on this one, but uh, hopefully uh, you have um, something in mind here. But heading into the next week of football, is there one match that stands out as your must-see?
0: Yeah, uh, Chris. I, I think it's pretty obvious for me. I think uh, uh, the, uh, the the Bayern uh, RB Leipzig match on Sunday, uh, top of the table class in the Bundesliga, one and two in the Bundesliga, is the uh, is the match to watch this weekend. Uh, although there are some other good matches, and keep in mind we're in a we're in a winter break for the pr- uh, Premier League, so there will be no uh, 3 p.m. kickoffs these next two weekends in the Premier League. You uh, the winter break is kind of funny because you will have Premier League games throughout it, but. But everybody gets a week off, is, is basically, and so two weeks between matches. That is, uh, this gives you a chance at that uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time, 3 p.m. kickoff uh, UK time to maybe watch some other leagues. So watch the championship, watch the Bundesliga. There's a Serie A match. Watch that. Uh, possibly watch uh, a, a match from the Dutch League or the Portuguese League if you want to find those uh, online on ESPN Plus and, and other places. So uh, Fubo, etc. I think that there's this is a good opportunity maybe for Premier League fans to broaden their horizons. Uh, but one game I would definitely watch is Munich, is Bayern and RB Leipzig on Sunday.
1: All right. Yeah. And that one's on uh, FS2. All right. Well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes.
0: Enjoy your football.